0: Hello everyone, once again, Impact One Less podcast, and once again, my favorite uh, speaker and guest, and um, as we discussed, online friend (laughs) now, Um, hi Brendan, good to have you back. Uh
1: It's so good to be here again with you we We had so much fun in that that last last conversation, so I'm excited to have another one and like we were saying, um kind of behind the scenes, I think you're doing such an amazing job with the show and this platform, and I really think you put very high quality content out there. so I'm just honored to uh contribute a little bit.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, vice versa to you. You're talking lots about molds. You're talking lots about brain. You're talking lots about gut-brain connection. And that is what we are discussing um, today. So Brendan, quickly, what is gut-brain connection?
1: Well, it's a it's a huge subject because ultimately, obviously, as uh, holistic and functional practitioners, providers, whatever we like to call ourselves, um, we have more of a holistic lens. So we see how all the tissues, all the systems in the body are interconnected and communicating. And you know, as more and more science comes out, we're just seeing how deeply integrated all the systems are, and we're um, really kind of the science is. Poking a lot of holes in sort of the classic, outdated, conventional perspective that everything's separated, right? Like cardiology is totally separate than immunology or endocrinology or psychiatry. You know, your um, IBD has nothing to do with your mental health, your uh, insulin resistance has nothing to do with your cardiovascular health. And that just doesn't make sense scientifically or physio- physiologically. So in the functional space, we like to kind of talk about all these different axes, like the HPA axis or the liver-brain axis, or in this case, the gut-brain axis. And so, you know, with the central nervous system with the brain and the spinal cord, but then we have the enteric nervous system down in the gut and this uh, very elaborate kind of garden of life, as I like to call it, that is the microbiome and these trillions and trillions of bacteria and fungi and viruses and parasites and uh, all of these specialized cells. And it's this whole network that produces so many signaling molecules that directly affect our brain and our central nervous system, whether that's directly through the vagus nerve that I'm sure we'll get into, or more humoral pathways and immune pathways through through the blood as things uh, get absorbed through the gut into the blood and migrate up into the brain. So it's this whole axis of communication from the brain down to the gut, from the gut to the brain. And you really can't separate them that much anymore because they're so intertwined. And so it's being able to kind of unravel those complexities so that way we can actually kind of get to the root of why somebody might be struggling with their mental health Kind of through that second brain down in the gut
0: it's so beautiful uh, and i really love garden of life that is Thank beautiful you. i never heard this before but actually that's what it is right
1: yeah that's
0: what it is It's essentially garden of life that's why we have to care for what we eat and uh, you know it's a food um is the messenger right and uh, i think we have to remember what we're putting in our mouth and it's not just about calories, <laughs> in and out, and um, it's about the quality of the stuff we are eating. Uh, fantastic. Why this connection is important to our health?
1: Well, you know, that's, that's why I, I kind of yeah, came up with the whole garden of life thing, because I just was, the, the more I've studied the microbiome and really just everything about, not just human health, but... I think humans, like we're so fallacious in our thinking, we're so sometimes um, kind of self-centered and and myopic and reductionistic with how we see ourselves and uh, sort of how the human species fits into the ecosystem of of the planet. And so this is where kind of looking at human health through the lens of uh, systems biology and understanding the role that humans play in the greater ecosystem, right? of, of the earth or, or just, you know, really the universe, where do we fit in into the grand scheme of things? And so this is where with, with medicine, we have kind of found ourselves uh, we've like painted ourselves into a corner with germ theory really. And, and of course, with the infectious disease pandemic, that's afoot right now, I think it's very in our face of we have painted ourselves into a corner because we've had this very um, just incorrect, ideology that you know germs cause disease and they're all bad and we need to sterilize the world and sterilize ourselves and the more that we try to do that the sicker and sicker we become and the more disconnected from nature and earth we get the sicker we become and so it's kind of funny because you start pulling the thread of like where did humans as a species where did we come from it's like we are from the earth we are of the dirt we are covered inside and out with trillions of microbes that now we have a term for in the microbiome and the microbiome and bacterium and uh, virome, so on and so forth. But we're now starting to just kind of scratch the surface and understanding how these microbes quite literally give us life. There is no separation of human physiology and microbiology. A lot of our functionality, a lot of the proteins and genetic uh, sequences that we utilize for human health, health and and functionality, like we got that functionality from microbes, we really evolved from microbes. So we're kind of at this, basically microbial extinction event, because we as a species are trying to sterilize ourselves and the earth. And all we're doing is cutting down our own functionality, because we're killing off that garden of life that we need to be able to produce all the things our, our body really produces. So this is, why I think it is kind of a beautiful metaphor or analogy to be thinking about um, how how can I better care for my garden of life and what do I need to give um, that garden for it to to really thrive right and the, the you know Diet Coke and cheeseburgers and cereal just isn't going to cut it so that standard American diet or kind of processed food diet and and more the modern way that we live is very destructive to that garden of life. We need to get closer to nature. And I think that's what's really beautiful about science and especially microbiology is it's really just pointing us back to we are so disconnected from the natural world. We are the dysbiosis. We as a species are the only species in existence, as far as we know, that lives dysbiotically with the natural world. So when we start trying to figure out like why why are we humans so sick and especially the more modern that we get the sicker that we become and it's yeah we're disconnected from where we came from we're disconnected through uh from nature and in the garden of life itself so it just totally changes the way that we think about human health and and disease
0: i would love that you explain uh, our audience um the word dysbiosis and i think That is true. I agree with you. We are the dysbiosis and if you could make connection why we are dysbiosis...
1: Yeah, well, essentially I mean dysbiosis typically we're referring to an imbalance of, you know, good and bad microbes, good and bad bacteria in the human gut. And it's a it's a very vague and sort of ambiguous term that gets thrown around a lot in the literature and medical and functional medical communities. I don't think conventional's really gotten behind the dysbiosis thing yet, but it's just this this simple word referring to an imbalance of, you know, good uh commensal microbes versus more pathogen, pathogenic or, or disease promoting microbes. And so if you apply that terminology or ideology to well, you look at how humans fit into the ecosystem of Earth and how we're we're killing the planet, we're killing off a lot of our you know fellow plants and animals. I think the World Living Planet report like a decade ago showed that we killed off like about 50% of biodiversity in the past 40 years, as in like we've killed off like half of everything that lives just in the past 40 years through our industrialization and modernization. So if you really want to talk about dysbiosis, like humans, like we are sort of the infection of the planet. And that's not me trying to be cynical. It's I think we need to open our eyes and and realize we are living out of harmony, we are disrupting the homeostasis of nature itself, and I don't think we, as a collective, are really going to start healing uh, until we relearn how to live in symbiosis with the natural world. So that's really what I think the goal needs to be. Um,
0: you know, when you are telling all of this, uh, came to me um, uh, the moment when I have graduated uh, as a nutritional therapist uh, back in two thousand twelve. And uh, I have learned about um, five or four R gut repair program. And the phase one is you remove and you kill basically, right? And then you're dealing with this dysbiosis. And you told about this in, in this, you gave answer, beautiful answer in now and just a few moments before. Because what I'm going uh, into is, I have realized that it is not about killing, in the way I think we have been thinking about killing, because this is all overgrowing. But this is and that's why it's creating um, that unfriendly environment for human to be, to live, to feel. But the I thrive. But the idea is to balance it back with whatever is happening inside and outside of human. That's why, it's, uh, analogically, what you're saying um, in regards to the uh, human being at this biosis is the same. You don't want to kill it, because that is not the solution. Is to learn it how to live uh, in a good and balanced on the brackets relationship with your environment, with yourself, uh, as a you, and with, whoever is outside of you and whoever you able to touch and communicate whatever you want, right? Um what do you think about that? It's
1: yeah, one one hundred percent. You know, it kind of gets a little esoteric where you you know you could of the mindset, which I am, that, you know, humans were sort of a, um, a projection of source itself. We're an extension of the essence of life and we're kind of this, um, you know, we are the universe experiencing itself in, in a weird sort of esoteric way or a beautiful esoteric way. and And so, you know, this is where, like, if you look at different ecosystems, one of the recurring themes that we see is that the more diversity of life is in an ecosystem, the, the stronger it is, the more resilient it is, the healthier it is, the more prosperous it is. I think that's such a beautiful analogy and fact, because whether it's the rainforest or the plains of the Midwest where I live or whatever it is, it's all about balance between these different forms of life, the microbiology, the bacteria, the fungi, the, the plants, the animals, everything. Everything's in this kind of harmonious symbiotic balance uh, in humans because we have decided to basically leave the natural world and, and kind of dysbiotically go in this um, this sort of different trajectory we've disconnected and we're harming ourselves and harming anything, everything around us. So, and we're overpopulating the planet. I mean, it's, it's amazing how quickly um, if you look at, how long it took for the human species to get to like 1 million and then 1 billion. But then it didn't take too long to get to 3 billion, 5 billion. Now we're pushing 7 and 8 billion. So um, we are replicating very similarly to a virus that's out of control, which is obviously a little bit ironic given the context of what's going on today. So, um, But we do, we have to kind of live symbiotically with one another in in the natural world to reachieve homeostasis at like a global collective level.
0: Mm-hmm. i really would love um when we're going to uh, talk about nutrition and lifestyle that uh that supports a gut brain connection that we talk a little bit about the diversity of food that we're mm-hmm. eating we're supposed to eat because look everyone is this diet this diet but if we're talking about garden of life uh, um if we don't decide to populate the gut just with one type of flower. we are having buffet of flowers, And I think that is also a little bit twisted because we have one diet and everyone should follow. Follow keto, follow uh, paleo, follow uh, vegetarian, follow vegan. And my question is, do we don't need all of them if we're talking about garden of life? Just let's keep this in mind because I'm very interested what do you think uh, about this, Brendan. Okay, my question is: We talk a lot about in functional medicine about triggers and mediators, or what drive the conditions, what drive the pathology. Uh, and in that case, we talk about gut-brain connection. What are those triggers that we should be aware of if there is something going on between that connection?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's almost like every aspect of the the modern lifestyle when when you think about it, because if we kind of turn back the clock to more like Paleolithic hunter-gatherer times where you know we what lived in uh, we didn 't really have shelters, I mean maybe caves or when whenever we started developing shelters, but we we lived on the earth in the earth, covered in dirt all the time you know our our shower or washing would be like in a creek that 's full of life and microbiology, uh, right not this sterile water that 's been you know put through all these um, kind of different filtration systems that we have today. And so it's kind of... you have to sort of unravel almost like the birth of big pharma where really like antibiotics were kind of what gave rise to big pharma. And yeah, I mean, I'm not saying antibiotics are, are a bad thing because yeah, like if we get a cut and that gets infected by a bacterial or bacteria or something, um, you know, it can and, and will kill you. Like obviously germs can infect you and cause disease and kill you, but they also, give us the building blocks of life itself. So you think about a more primal lifestyle where we're just covered in dirt and microbes all the time. We're eating, you know, food straight out of the earth without washing it or sanitizing or doing all the weird things that we do today. So you compare, you know, the way that humans live now where literally Um, you know, were you born via C-section or or, uh, vaginal delivery, right? And are you covered in your mother's microbiome from the, you know, her vaginal microbiome? Or, you know, if you're cut via C-section, like you lose out on a lot of those microbiome benefits right there. You get hit up with multiple vaccines as soon as you're out of the womb, maybe pumped with antibiotics that's like dropping nuclear bombs on your garden of life right from birth. So, so many people today, like we really are, um, kind of beaten down from a Garden of Life perspective as soon as we're born, right? And then, uh, like you just mentioned, that you're breastfeeding your daughter or child, which is, you know, amazing, and you're seeing your child flourish so much because of that. Whereas a lot of children, after going through this extinction event of the C-section, of the antibiotics, of the vaccines, of the now they're drinking, you know, this nutritionally kind of void um, formula, right. And, and, all these processed fillers and what we do to agriculture and our food system, you know, the glyphosate conversation is a huge aspect of it, of there's billions of pounds of glyphosate in our environment all the time. It's, we've contaminated the whole planet with glyphosate that, I mean, it's basically like an antibiotic spray is kind of an easy way to think about it. It just kills, uh, life period. It kills bacteria, it kills microbes. And so we're just not giving our body our cells our tissues the exposure to the natural microbes the healthy microbes that we need for functionality and it does kind of lay waste to the garden which gives the opportunity for the environment for those weeds to start popping up so a lot of the you know disease promoting microbes well a lot of times we're, like we're giving them the opportunity to flare up whether it's candida or clostridia or aspergillus or whatever it is there are Definitely, microbes that are infectious and pathogenic. But you know, normally, if you have a healthy garden, it keeps all that at bay. But we're so laying waste to the garden that yeah, it does decrease our immunity and increase the susceptibility to those you know more kind of naughty microbes to flaring up.
0: It's um, it's just reminding me about um, leaky gut. Uh, I remember when I again started to practice, and I would be doing. Um the testing for leaky gut, right? And was always, what occurred to me, sometimes those people that I, I would say they have leaky gut 100%, they didn't have, and those one that shouldn't have, they had. And then I started to think, you know what? Get a leaky gut is not, is quite difficult. Our gut is supposed to be very, very strong. It is not just, oh yeah, I'm eating this and suddenly I'm getting leaky gut, right? It's an exposure over exposure of different um, toxins, different mechanisms, different triggers and radiators over a longer period of time, plus probably genetic predispositions that are going to affect what is going on uh, inside the gut. So it's kind of, um, like I said, when you were talking about that, just remind me about leaky gut. It's not that... Uh, Easy to mess with nature. So, referring back to what you said, how what we have done, and how much now um, awareness and effort we have to put back to really move those things back. But what is very amazing, and um, we know this nature has lots of power and can quickly heal and can quickly change. So, uh, I feel, uh, Brendan, with this podcast, we are also wanting to encourage everyone to. Uh, improve their environment and um, and another thing is um, uh, you mentioned the c-sections and breastfeeding and to be honest until i got pregnant and i started to be interested in my own uh, story i was kind of like not thinking about this and then when i started to do more research i was shocked because actually really the birth is now mostly by c-section at least in america And um, the same is with breastfeeding. And uh, I want to make a little disclaimer here. You know, we have to make choice what we want to do with our body. And not everyone can do vaginal delivery or um, breastfeed. And I'm really empower those women because I had questions like that. What I supposed to do to make their own decisions coming from their heart. They know what is best for them. But I believe that this is start as you said of distraction because from the beginning the environment is just fucked (laughs) yeah you have to say right
1: yeah yeah no it's so true i mean this the that's what's weird about being alive as a human today is what we consider like the only way to live as a human this modern lifestyle that's only existed for like fifty to a hundred years, depending on what time frame you want to use, versus the you know two hundred thousand years that the you know Homo Sapien has been around, and its you know prehistoric ancestors like the Homo Erectus before that. I mean, the 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 bipedal hominid lineage goes back for hundreds of thousands of years, again depending on the time frame. So we've lived symbiotically with nature for almost the entire time that humans have existed. It's only really been in the past hundred years that we've dramatically left that. And it's just like, everything's artificial. You know, we don't breathe air that's full of all of the, the scents and aromas and microbes and molecules of the natural world. We're breathing filtered air. We're bre- you know drinking filtered water. Food is processed and stripped of nutrients and microbes. It's just like, Everything about it is just so artificial. We we wonder why our our health is failing, our tissues, our systems that, you know, our physiology really hasn't changed that much in the past, you know, 100 to 1,000 years. But our environment, the environment that we live our lives in has dramatically changed.
0: I think that is also giving um, more idea about these allergies, Mm-hmm. Lots of allergies, food sensitivities, suddenly good gluten and wheat are a big problem, right? Or milk, which was not problem thousands of years ago, right? It's not only that we have genetic predisposition, that there is something happening in modification of environment that our systems just, I believe, is resisting. Um, Brendan, um, how brain and gut are connected?
1: Yeah, so the enteric nervous system down in the the gut, gastrointestinal tract, it's directly connected to the central nervous system via the vagus nerve. That is such a popular topic these days, and we have the afferent, efferent branches, but essentially that serves as just this direct hardwired uh, line of communication from the gut to the brain so if there's any you know bad juju going on in the gut dysbiosis or fungal overgrowth or uh, pro-inflammatory signals going on there is a basically an angry pro-inflammatory signal that goes straight up to the vagus nerve and that actually activates all these microglial cells in the central nervous system which regulate neuroinflammation and brain and decrease neuroplasticity neurogenesis. So essentially um, it sets the forest that is our brain on fire and it can't regenerate itself. It can't really quench itself very well if the, if the fire grows too much. So anytime we have that bad stuff going on in the gut, we have that pro-inflammatory signal just get directly conveyed. But then as you said, when there is a failure of the, Um, barriers of the body so the epithelial barrier in the gastrointestinal tract gets disrupted and a lot of inflammation and damage and the tight junction proteins open up so this leaky gut phenomena where now all of this stuff that normally never gets into our bloodstream it only stays in our gut and just kind of passes through the tube right in the middle of the body but now it's quite literally leaking and leaching and translocating into the bloodstream where it's circulating through your body and actually circulates up to, um, the blood brain barrier. And the same, the same phenomena happens with the blood brain barrier is, uh, it gets leaky, it gets, it gets damaged. And it you can quite literally, there's so much research, um, behind this of leaky gut really is what sets the stage for a leaky brain, but you can just think of it as the floodgates are open. So all these bad pro-inflammatory, infectious, uh, damaging molecules and microbes are able to so easily get into our bloodstream and and get into our brain, kind of driving this more chronic low-grade inflammation. And so to kind of put it into almost like a medical context, you know, if you think about sepsis, you know, sepsis is is a really severe, uh, basically leakage of bacteria and bacterial endo or exotoxins into the bloodstream that cause, you know, septic shock and fever and uh, encephalitis and brain inflammation at at a very severe acute level. But leaky gut and leaky brain is kind of like a subclinical sepsis is the easiest way to think about it. Um, So it's more it's lower grade and chronic. It's it's that type of condition that it sneaks up on you over time. And so we see this reflected in you know the chronic disease conditions of uh Alzheimer's disease is the sixth leading cause of death for Americans. Suicide is number 10. Diabetes is somewhere top five or so. Um, but all these chronic conditions are interconnected and, and related, and there's all these comorbid um, statistics that show how it's like, well, it's a lot of the same kind of root cause physiological dysfunctions at play, and a lot of it originates with this sort of leaky gut, leaky brain phenomena.
0: And I think uh, coming back to sepsis, it's very interesting that you talk about this because I think that's what is the probably one of the biggest causes of Um, um, death in elderly population Mm -hmm. i would need to look at into statistics but for example my grandpa he died from sepsis because was just too much going on in the system immunity is down and you know he didn't die from what he was uh, giving up prescription for right and he was protected for this and that but mm, very interesting um, topic and also great that you uh, pointing out Brandon that this connection works up and down because we cannot just say and I have a question to you right uh, where starts the disease right and I uh, picked this up from uh, uh, Alex um, uh, Manos okay uh, yeah. practitioner yeah. And I really was intrigued. I will be speaking with him at some point about SIBO. And um, I said, that's I will ask Brendan because I really think he had a great idea here how he, uh, how he put this uh, together. And that's what I observe in my clinic. Sometimes results from stool tests come in like perfect, but someone's still manifesting the gut issue. Okay, what's going on with nervous system? right? Who, who is driving what, right? And I think that's why this connection is important to empower from uh, bottom and from, um, from the top. And you mentioned the vagus nerve. Let's talk a little bit about this because there is lots of power in this nerve. Talk a little bit about, about this nerve and how can we stimulate this nerve and why it's so important that this nerve is optimal.
1: Yeah. Totally. The well, first off, Alex Manos is is awesome. He's he's a good friend of mine. We've had a lot of really good um, talks, uh, all everything from psychedelics and microbiome. So um, he's really great, and he he posts some really thought provoking content. Because even with functional medicine. Um, I think sometimes like the, the root cause paradigm actually sort of backfires and sort, sort of like leads us astray because we get so hyper fixated on, well, what's the root cause as if it's like one thing or, or one mechanism or, you know, you have to do it in a certain order or or something like that. And that's, that's kind of just, replicating the reductionistic conventional model and is sort of the opposite of holisticism where we're looking at how everything's interrelated. So, you know, that's, what's kind of cool about the gut brain axis is, is it can go both ways. So for example, you know, let's say that you have somebody, they have IBS or IBD or dysbiosis or leaky gut, you know, they have all these gut issues, but they also have like unresolved trauma or stress from, you know, their childhood. And we know through the Literature that uh, PTSD and trauma and in early life adverse events increase inflammation over time. They increase inflammation or basically um, inflammation increasing as we age and immunosenescence or the aging of the immune cells themselves, really. So in a lot of ways, like early life stress and trauma can kind of set the stage for inflammatory conditions to more likely develop. And, okay, if you developed this, um, basically like nervous system dysregulation, neurolimbic dysregulation, Dysfunction, HPA axis dysregulation. Well, that in a lot of ways kind of primes the immune system to be susceptible to some sort of uh, later, you know, infectious disease or inflammatory disease event. So then would you say like that's the root cause, or do you have to fix your adrenals and stress response and neurolimbic system before you can heal your gut? And it's like, well, it goes both ways, right? So You could improve your gut health just by working on, you know, your, your cognitive health and your neurolimbic health of doing meditation or, or breath work or psychotherapy or psychedelics. You can try to improve what's going on up here. And that will send, you know, healing signals down to the gut through the vagus nerve. It'll calm down the immune response, calm down inflammation to some degree, but you know, you can also attack it both ways. So I think that's the power of holistic and functional medicine is, well, we're kind of working on everything at the same time, right? Where we might have a client that has all these complex issues and we're going to have them doing, you know, some sort of kind of psychosomatic work, whether that's, you know, breath work or EMDR or craniosacral. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, assuming, you know, the client or patient is even receptive and ready, willing and able but we try to kind of attack it from all angles like that's that's what gives holistic medicine its power cuz like if we want to talk about root cause like big pharma their whole business model and i don't say their their you know their public service health goal no their business model is how do we monetize you know these pills that have a very specific mechanism of action so Couldn't we argue that that's the root cause of like, oh, your NF-kappa-B transcription factor is being activated. That's the root cause. And we have a pharmaceutical that just blocks that mechanism. But did you fix the problem? Well, no, you're just blocking a crucial mechanism that sort of delays the progression of the pathophysiology. And that's such a different thing than actually removing the harmful input signals that are driving the dysfunctional physiology. So I think that's one of the big takeaway points that I always try to convey is if we think about our health as basically the result of the balance of how many healing input signals are our bodies and tissues getting versus harmful. So whether it's a naughty microbe or stress or trauma or toxicity of some kind, it's just a harmful input signal. And if your tissues aren't getting enough you know, healing input signals, we lose homeostasis and we start becoming dysfunctional and, and that progresses into disease. So people have to change the way that they even think about health or disease to be able to start figuring out like, all right, how do I change the signals my, my tissues and, and DNA are receiving?
0: That's why we do an Impact Wellness Podcast and that's why you are existing, <laughs> right? So everyone should tune with you. You are teaching um, practitioners, but I think uh, your um, posts on especially on Instagram that's where i'm uh, following you are very clear with very clear message and um what you told brandon it's about awareness and once you aware you don't have a chance to not begin to work on your um on yourself um My question also was, um, how can we stimulate Vagus now? Because it's so important, right? And uh, give just like few ideas to our audience, what do they can do so this connection is empowered.
1: Yeah, the, you know, vagal toning and and vagus nerve stimulation has kind of become this really popular um, thing on on social media, which I'm not trying to like poke fun, but maybe a little bit because it it feels a little gimmicky at times where people are like, oh, you can hum and sing and gargle and that stimulates your vagus nerve and that's going to heal your gut and heal your gut brain axis. And, you know, I mean, if I told like one of my mold illness clients like, oh, yeah, just hum, hum for like 10 minutes every day and all your problems are going to go away. Like they would hate me for that because like, no, I mean, humming probably isn't really going to move the needle that much. I'm not saying it's relevant. I'm not saying it doesn't stimulate the vagus nerve, but like, for example, ibuprofen stimulates the vagus nerve, but you know, usually you hear people say, Well, ibuprofen hurts your microbiome and it's liver toxic. And it's like, well, that's true too. But this is where like I get tired of social media, functional medicine people that it's all this gimmicky weak stuff that it's not that it's wrong, it's just so it's gimmicky. It's it's just not very helpful because you know, vagus nerve stimulators, as in a, a device that gets implanted into your body. With wiring and stuff, vagus nerve stimulators were approved by the FDA in 2010 for treatment resistant depression. So, you know, yes, we know that if we electrically stimulate the vagus nerve with one of these devices, yeah, it can actually stimulate neurogenesis and neuroplasticity and decrease inflammation in the body and potentially be, well, not potentially, it is an approved. Uh, treatment for treatment resistant depression, so we know that vagus nerve stimulation has efficacy now, do I think like implanting a battery pack into your chest and zapping your vagus nerve is the most like practical you know option? No, but if we kind of take that concept and reverse engineer it of how can we have healthy vagal tone you know a lot of a lot of the things kind of get back to stress in the microbiome, so depending on are we talking from this down or from the gut up, either direction, but for example, lipopolysaccharide, those bacterial endotoxins from gram-negative bacteria in the gut, uh, those stimulate the vagus nerve in a bad way. It sends a pro-inflammatory signal into the brain and stimulates neuroinflammation. Whereas short-chain fatty acids, which are really the, the key molecules and mediators that allow the microbiome to have so many healing properties, like it's not so much the bacterial cells themselves that are helping your body heal; it's what they're producing, which is primarily those those short-chain fatty acids. Which is why we need a, a lot of diversity with the diet, and we need plenty of fiber because it's we have to give. The Garden of Life, the bugs. We have to give them the fuel that they need to produce those molecules, those short chain fatty acids. They stimulate the vagus nerve, but they send an anti-inflammatory signal to the brain. It quiets down microglial activation. It promotes uh, neurogenesis and basically the healing of the brain. So again, with the Garden of Life, it's like if you have a lot of dysbiosis and a lot of endotoxins, exotoxins, mycotoxins, all these pro-inflammatory the <laughs> cat mediators, well, that's driving a lot of neuroinflammation through the vagus nerve and the humoral pathway versus if you have a lot of microbiome diversity and plenty of keystone strains and plenty of short-chain fatty acid production, that actually has the opposite effect. It's it's very, very healing. So I think when people are talking about humming and singing or breath work and meditation and, and the, the name of vagal toning, like that's cute, that's fine, but I look at that of like... Well, well, we need to adopt better lifestyle habits of, uh, you know, rather than, I don't know, like sitting in your room and trying to do these breathing exercises, like go hike a mountain, go for a walk in nature, you know, uh, go howl at the moon. Like, I think humans are very, it's like, we've forgotten how to be human. We have to be so quiet and we never can make all these guttural sounds that like, what is yawning? What do you think yawning is? Yawning is like a natural mechanism by which we stimulate the vagus nerve to convey the signal of like, hey, it's sleepy time. That's what yawning really is, right? Um, so I'm just waiting for the next Instagram influencer to be like, yawn for the sake of your gut brain axis. And it's like, come on. I mean, so anyways, I'm starting to rant and ramble. But I think when we adopt more healthy lifestyle habits, the vagus nerve, toning is going to kind of take care of itself. But we have to be looking at these key things that are, you know, causing damage to the vagus nerve or stimulating pro-inflammatory signals or but the short chain fatty acid versus exotoxin, endotoxin, that's such a huge focal point that I think that's way more powerful and important to be focusing on than like, oh, what part of my ear do I touch to you know stimulate the vagus nerve? Or if I how many minutes do I need to hum per day? I, I think that's kind of weak in comparison
0: i think uh, brendan we uh, had a conversation uh, a while ago um, about this biohacking thing right and that's kind of getting back into uh, that and to be honest you make me mm, you pushed me to think you know with this um, instagram uh, post because again we now want to biohack everything right we cannot biohack our lifestyle. And yes, they are strategies that are going to help you get optimal, get better, get, live longer, uh, in extend your health span, right? Because you want to be healthy. You know, you don't want only live longer, right? That is not a point if you're sick, right? Um, but I think that goes again to this extreme that we tra- want to biohack everything and we are forgetting that we need to change our lifestyle we need to change the way we eat the way we think we need to, this is all matter it's not just uh, as you said doing little hum here or you know le- listen the mozart music because that was my tip for <laughs> the simulation yeah. of uh, of the brain right and as you said there is a, um i always tell my clients listen adapt what you are able to adapt if you want that this process takes forever right but if you want to see a bit faster results, you just have to push and use this top strategies, I would say, to get better results. But we people are very hesitant with change of the lifestyle. That's what mm-hmm. at least I see. Taking supplements, yes, give me all of them. But changing the lifestyle, changing the way you make your breakfast or you don't make breakfast. And I think that is probably another topic of discussion fasting right everyone now does fasting right and i don't think people doing because they uh, remember about the benefits of fasting but they're doing it because it's easier mm-hmm. it's easier better i don't eat and then i just eat i eat one meal a day and then i don't eat again right what's the point to worry about food i don't know um, we can probably talk about fasting <laughs> another uh, day so my question is uh, as we come into um, the end of our conversation can we say that if we are happy having a happy gut bacteria we're going to have happy brain
1: uh, yeah for, for the most part but you know to your point uh, there's something i preach a lot Because unfortunately, we live in this, you know, age of information. And so it's all about these, these little sound bites that get people's attention, right? So um, this is why there's so much just gimmicky stuff, you know, people lose their minds when you say this very redundant, you know, cute statement of like, how many people have said, you know, uh, genetics load the gun environment pulls the trigger and everybody freaks out. They're like, Oh, that's so cool. That's so profound. Um, So I just, it's so much just marketing and sensationalism. and, And I think it's almost more distracting than anything else because everybody wants that silver bullet protocol or what's the biohack or give me the pharmaceutical because I don't want to change the way I'm living my life. That's really the problem, right? Is everybody is very addicted to instant gratification. They don't want to have to work for it. They don't actually want to have to Change the way they eat, change the way they see the world or see themselves and how they fit into that world. They don't want to change the way that they go about their day. It's just all convenience. So, like, how do I biohack that? What's the supplement protocol for that? Or give me the pharmaceutical band-aid instead. So it's not that I have like a anything against biohacking, because you know, we can look at the biohacking recommendations or the functional medicine protocols and like, what is it about that biohack or what is it about that, protocol or what is it about that pharmaceutical like what's the mechanism of action and how can we do that more holistically we need more more behavior modification and and less biohacking less protocols it's a very it it drives me crazy too i mean it's kind of like i have 99 problems and and a healthy diet and an active lifestyle fixed 98 98 of them right Um, So we can't be just continuously reaching for the pharmaceutical or the supplements or the gimmicky biohacks. We actually have to take a hard look at our collective behaviors and really make some dramatic changes there. So, um, you know, I I think this is where we have to really bring a lot more awareness and education of what's, what's a better way and all these kind of gimmicky diets too, keto and paleo and vegan plant-based, we're overcomplicating it, right? Uh, and even with fasting, which has blown up so much, and it's like, what a novel concept, right? Like just don't eat for a while and it has health benefits. Like, wow, that's crazy. That's my, We treat it as if it's this new scientifically driven paradigm. It's like, yeah I mean our our species has evolved fasting because we didn 't always have food available to us. you know uh, Food abundance is a very kind of novel modern you know sort of problem in itself, so I think it 's almost more we have to look at these supplements and biohacking recommendations of like what is it about that that 's helpful and how can i modify my lifestyle behaviors to optimize that same sort of mechanism. Like as a scientist and researcher, that's what I do where, you know, I'm reading all this pharmaceutical science of like, why does this drug work? Why does it have any efficacy? What's the mechanism of action and how can we positively influence those same mechanisms through our lifestyle, through our environment? through our psychology. So you kind of have to reverse engineer it rather than just you know give me the instant gratification because I don't want to change.
0: I love so much, and I stress once again, uh, Brendan, one thing you said, you have to work hard. If you yeah. brought yourself to the state of the disease and chronic disease develops over years, it's not you suddenly got um, cardiovascular issues, you got diabetes, right? Uh, yes, if you were born with diabetes type one, that is genetic predisposition. I don't want to go into that, but people don't want to work. Yeah, they they don't. They just want, as you said, easy solution. And I'm. You may ha- hate me, anyone who listen, and you may not tune in me anymore and never check Brandon Page, right? <laughs> but we really want to make you think. You have to work. You have to put an effort and this is not effort for four weeks, three, 12 weeks. Sometimes it's effort for one year, two years, three years until you develop a new set of skills and new set of behaviors and until your brain began to recognize that now Brandon is Brandon one, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. So you are you becoming someone else uh, uh, your body regenerate your blood regenerate your organs have ability to regenerate and and uh, i think we should use opportunity that we got from someone right we go in beyond um actually we're talking holistic medicine here uh, whatever you believe with but you have to take opportunity to get better and to heal so you've got better future and better present moment and i really would love that you get empowered by this conversation and you really love us not hate <laughs> right Brandon? Absolutely. That, that is so beautiful so can we be happy if our gut microbiome is happier right
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, learning how to how to care for that garden of life, which uh, is actually very, very similar to caring for a real garden in your backyard, right? A lot of the same uh, principles really apply. And that's where all the processed food and medications and sedentary lifestyle. And, you know, it, the, the more that we get back to nature, that fixes a lot of the problems, which sounds maybe kind of ambiguous. And really, it's like, no, I mean, Spend more time in the natural environment, touching the natural environment, breathing it in, being in contact with it, eating food you know out of it or closer to it, right like real food and diversity of the diet equals diversity of your microbiome itself and you know to your point with behavior modification, like it is a lot of work, and that 's where, for example, i, I, I don 't something that drives me crazy about our industry. I feel like functional medicine tends to do a lot of fear-mongering-based marketing. It's a lot of like fear tactics to make people aware of a certain problem, such as mold being one of my big areas of expertise, and it just causes a lot of neurosis and, and orthorexic behavior And I think sometimes functional medicine is better at creating problems than solving them. And so, for example, I I say this so that the audience has some relatability and they don't feel like we're, you know, on our uh, pedestals and virtue signaling about, well, you're too lazy to change your lifestyle or behaviors. Because I've been living in this apartment for three and a half years and I just found a bunch of nasty mold growing out from one of the, the vent covers that's like right behind me. And so I just had it remediated. It was an amateur remediation job, which functional medicine people would freak out about of like, oh no, it wasn't done well enough. But here's the thing. I quite literally, I I mean, the mold was really bad in the air system. So we're not talking a piece of the apartment. We're talking about the very airways of my apartment have been deeply compromised for what, months, years? I don't know. So my point being, I've literally been breathing in Uh, who knows how many mold spores and mycotoxins for months, if not years, but you know what? I'm fine. I'm great. I'm not deathly ill over here because my body is very resilient. You know, resilience is earned. And that's really what you were just saying is, by working on our health and putting in that hard work, our bodies can become amazingly resilient. And so whether we're talking about emotional resilience or metabolic resilience or immune resilience, that's what the world really needs a lot more of is, is resilience on all levels. And that's you have to build yourself up to become resilient, resilient resiliency is earned. And if all you do is unconsciously consume, the mainstream lifestyle that is not just spoon fed to you but forced down your throat through what's available, what's cheap, what's easy, what what is being marketed to you right? You turn on mainstream media it's fast food commercial, big pharma commercial, sugary processed food, uh, you know pharmaceutical antidepressant, go get your vaccine propaganda that's the world we live in, so if you go with what's just handed to you you are statistically inclined to become overweight, ill, develop multiple chronic conditions, get put on a lot of different medications, and you can break all of that. You know, it's not about buying the $10,000 biohacking gadget. It's not about doing $10,000 of func- experimental functional medicine testing. It's the fundamentals of how do you build a healthy meat suit? How do you develop that metabolic resilience? So it is hard work, but I think it's a lot more manageable than, than people realize. And if they had the self-love and self-respect to actually do what it takes, you too can be very you know, metabolic resilient where you can breathe in mold for a year and not get sick from it, right? So anyways, yeah, I think whole thing.
0: Brandon, thank you so much for um, spelling this once again because uh, you understood me very well, what I meant. Uh, work hard right is not you have to you know kill yourself right this is not what I meant but um, if you want certain results and changes visible you just have to put that effort right don't expect you know take a bunch of supplements or do a bunch of tests and they get in a diet and this is going to be that's it but also coming back to the mold uh, it's similar with um, mercury right when mercury, bad stuff, let's remove it, right? And then, you know, all you have, and I had many clients has the mercury and I just say, you know what? I'm not going to touch this. This probably moving this out could make you more harm at this stage, right? So it's just that, um, uh, you know, I I think you explained perfectly. I don't need to dig uh, deeper into that. Brendan, my last question is um, this disease thing. Everyone says disease and that's Alex Manos. Uh, Alex, your in, uh, inspiration comes here. Uh, disease starts in the gut or is just some start out start outside of the gut, is just gut becoming the manifestation and life events and um, our environment trigger whatever is happening.
1: Well, you know, Hippocrates, the father of medicine, right? Death begins in the colon, death begins in the gut, uh, disease starts in the gut. He, you know, he he's really, his ancient wisdom has really stood the test of time. And, you know, he's often called the father of medicine. And yet you look at what modern medicine has become, and it's so very different and been bastardized by the, business model of big pharma. That's all it really is. It's an economic issue. It's a business model crisis at the end of the day. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the foundation of our physiological health, yeah, I think gut health is really kind of ground zero. I mean, certainly, you know, it's, it's not the only thing and, you know, we don't want to focus on it in isolation or reductionistic viewing, but um, yeah, it's kind of the, the main Like nothing else in your body is going to be working well if if the gut health isn't really on point, and so much of what we need to do for just overall health, metabolic health, uh, a lot of that helps heal the gut, and so it it could get really complicated. Like, well, what strain of probiotic or what specific diet? And it's like, no, 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 you've already missed the point if that's the question it's a lot of just the basic things. If we get back to moving our bodies more, feeding it a diverse diet, decreasing our stress load, unplugging from the matrix, Yet, you know, it's, it's a lot of just the, the fundamental lifestyle habits you know, without the hacks, but with that extra knowledge of the gut and the microbiome and how do we nourish that garden of life? Well, then it, it takes care of us and it, and it feeds us for a lifetime.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, Brandon, how can we find you?
1: Uh, the main platform is, is Instagram. That's the Holistic Savage, which is my uh, username. And I don't think I'm ever going to change it. But that's where I just pump out a lot of free content. That's kind of the, the main platform. And then everything else is connected to that.
0: And uh, uh, one point for all personal trainers. Um, um, Brendan has background, right? Oh, no, on military work, right? You were the soldier, right?
1: Uh, well, I joined the Navy, uh, Navy. For the Navy yes. Seal program after high school. But um, my professional background is fitness and nutrition.
0: Yes, and why I want uh, this because um, I know that you guys uh, want to learn more, and you are looking for um, more um, how to improve your clients and how to help them. And I think Brendan is a great person to join his courses to learn more and to dig deeper, uh, so you kind of understanding uh, clients and. Uh, Brendan has this um, connection with fitness. So I really would love to empower you to uh, join, uh, if not his courses, at least his Instagram. (laughs) Brendan, thank you you so much. Thank you everyone. And I hope you enjoyed this um, deep conversation. Um, Brendan, the last three empowering words. What do you want to say to our public?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I mean, I, I really believe the, the best, the greatest treatment is prevention, right? And the greatest most of all is teach people not to need it. So, so many times people are seeking us out once they've already gotten very, very sick. And it's like, you know, it's a lot easier to prevent than it is to try to reverse these things. So, um, but as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, the body is constantly regenerating itself. So if you give it the right input signals through your environment, your psyche, your lifestyle, you really can have like a whole new body, a whole new self, you know, in a certain amount of time. So Um, you know, healing and self-healing is really this innate capacity of the human body. We just have to learn how to harness that healing capacity. And it's through conversations like this. So I really, really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's always a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much once again, everyone. Thank you, Brendan. And um, Shers, see you soon.
1: Thank you.